0: Well, um, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all, depending on the side of the world you find yourself in. Um, If you're in the USA, good morning. If you are in Africa, it's most likely afternoon or evening, and I know a number of people are still logging on, and so let me just go ahead and spend the next few minutes laying out the basis for this conversation. You are welcome to Cornell Alliance for Science live webinar session today, Monday, the 26th of April 2021. It's on the theme seats, who should decide what the farmer grows. And we have both um, a global audience from the USA and other parts of the world that gathered here to discuss this very global subject, but our panel is mainly Africa focused because we actually want to deal with the issue from the African perspective. So we have folks on the panel connecting from Uganda, from Kenya, from Nigeria. And myself, I'm a Ghanaian. My name is Joseph Opokuga. I'm an environment, agriculture, and rural development journalist based in Accra, Ghana. Um, we'll veer into the details of the conversation in a while. But first, I want to tell you about Cornell Alliance for Science. The Cornell Alliance for Science is a global science communications initiative that's comprised of organizations and committed champions. And actually, um, AFS does seek to promote access to scientific innovation as a means of enhancing food security, improving environmental sustainability, and also raising the quality of life globally. You can read more about Cornell Alliance for Science when you log on to our website. That's um, allianceforscience.connell.edu. And you can also follow Alliance for Science on Twitter at Science Ally. That's S C I E N C E A L L Y. You can also follow us on Facebook at Science Ally and then on Instagram as well. It's at Science Ally. And, uh, you know, as the conversation unfolds, you can share your questions in the chats. They will be read to the panelists. Um, and then getting to the end of the conversation would get the various responses for you. Also, there are some of you who are watching this event live on Facebook. You can type your questions and comments in the comment section. And that would also be read out to the panel members. Now, um, AFS live sessions actually seek to put into context major scientific and agricultural issues. And then we bring in the people who have the in-depth understanding to actually speak to us all about it and today's webinar is on the theme seeds who should decide what the farmer grows and uh, we actually having this conversation because the 26th of april is celebrated every year by the organic movement and also a number of food sovereignty championing groups as international seed day and it's actually also a day that originally the united nations does market as world intellectual property day and the groups i mentioned earlier have adopted it for more than 10 years now to actually push for food sovereignty and so um this panel will discuss and explore what exactly the issues of food you know seed sovereignty is all about and then we'll discuss the situation with seeds on the continents africa specifically and then discuss the advantages and also the disadvantages when it comes to the use of improved seeds. And so uh, those are some of the issues that we'll be dealing with in the course of this particular conversation. I have um, a number of guests who are joining us over the next few minutes to discuss this topic. Um, Patience Koku is a Nigerian farmer who farms more than 500 hectares of leased lands in the Kaduna state in Nigeria. She's the chief executive officer of replenish farms which produces rice, soya, maize, vegetables, and seeds in Nigeria. She's actually a former fashion entrepreneur and Patience subsequently took up farming in pursuit of a more meaningful occupation. And she's a global advocate for smallholder farmers. And she's a champion uh, for the need for farmers to actually access better seeds. Um, Patience, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, A very good afternoon to you in Nigeria.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me.
0: It's not only Patience who is on the conversation this afternoon, Um, Klet Masiga is a conversation, you know, he's actually a conservation biologist. He's also a geneticist from Uganda. He's director of the Bioscience Engineering and uh, Farm Innovations at um, the Tropical Institute of Development Innovations. He also works as Director for Access and Utilization of Farm Technologies and Innovations at the Subbanyo Farms. And he's a trained biodiversity conversationist. He's also trained in biotechnology. He's trained in plant breeding. Uh, he's trained in policy analysis and advocacy. And he's also done some training in uh, project coordination as well as management and implementation. Klet is joining us from Uganda, Klet. Good day to you and thanks very much for joining us.
2: It's a good day evening, good afternoon here in Uganda and greetings to all those who are tuned in to this webinar.
0: Thanks for making time to join us for this conversation, Klet. Um, We have a third guest who is also joining us and will connect in a while, Um, Leonida Odongo. Leonida Odongo is a social justice activist from Kenya she runs the Haki Nawi Africa group, which is actually a youth-run initiative that's working towards a vision for a world where every person enjoys their rise to the fullest irrespective of their social class. Um, that organization runs a food justice initiative that, among others, promotes indigenous seeds through encouraging farmers to set up seed banks, and they're actively working on interrogation of food-related legislation policies as well and they seek to promote healthy and safe focus on agroecological practices. So Leonida will be joining us in a while as we get the conversation going. But um, just to begin, I would want to begin with some thoughts from um, Patience Koku, who is joining us from Nigeria, specifically on the very fundamental topic that we're discussing, um, who should decide the seeds that farmers grow on their fields? Um, Should it be the consumers, should it be the farmer himself, should it be the seed industry, should it be the philanthropic organizations that are helping support African agriculture, should it probably be our donors and also our donor partners? Patience, I'll take your quick thoughts on that uh, to commence the conversation.
1: Uh, Thank you, Joseph. Um, I think this is an all-important topic because seed is the foundation of everything we do as um, farmers. And it's the beginning of, of um, what the end produce, I mean, of food is. Um, I think that it's a, well, so first and foremost, because um, of the way that farming is right now and the fact that um, farmers are no longer reusing seeds that they have uh, saved. Um, and, and so we purchase seeds from, from seed companies um, I think it's a it's a it's a two way. I, I would say my answer would be twofold, in the sense that the farmers ultimately have the choice, um, should have the final choice in what seeds they grow, um, based on on the different options that are before them, which is seed companies providing um, farmers an access to the relevant, I mean whatever seed, whether it's corn seed or. It's, so that farmers ultimately choose what they want to, um, to grow based on whether their current situation around them or... But, but the, 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 the point is, because the seed is produced by a, um, by a process, right? It's important for the farmers to be um, uh, um, in constant dialogue with also the people who produce the seeds to know exactly what the farmer needs are and so when when farmers ultimately have the choices that farmers have or ultimately have access, that farmers have then the right to choose what they grow uh, based on their own personal circumstances and situation.
0: That's um very interesting there. Obviously, that was expected. as a farmer yourself, you would obviously make the case that we should see a situation where, farmers are deciding the kind of seeds that should actually be grown. But then let me take your thoughts on that as well, Klet. Uh, who should be making those decisions on the kind of seeds that farmers grow? Thank
2: you. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Joseph and uh, Precious. It's a two way. And maybe before I get into that, I recently took my COVID job, the first one, which, uh, many people uh, seems to be not for, but I had to go for it. I did not ask AstraZeneca to make the COVID. They did it because they realized that the world needs it. Now, in a country like Uganda, where there was limited effort to make our own job. Someone out there was like, okay, we have a pandemic. There will be need for this solution. And they made it. Now, those of us who want the service went for it and we have gotten it out of choice. We actually had to sign that I'm taking it willingly. But on the other hand, if if I had the capacity, I would say, I want the vaccine. So I did not participate in asking for it but I realize it is important and I need it. Now, scientists globally look for solutions that address a certain challenge. So a farmer or a peasant farmer in Uganda who is growing maize, which is referred to as corn in the US, all they need is to grow maize, which is available to them and produce the maize that they need to consume or sell to make exam pick However, a scientist could say, look, this farmer is growing maize, but there's this high yielding variety that might be of value, this farmer. So without necessarily a farmer asking for it, a scientist, because a scientist doesn't just do science out of blue, you do science based on a certain problem that you are trying to address. So you develop a variety of maize that you believe is addressing a certain challenge of the farmer. Now, the person who invests in it, there are two. In our system, we have mainly the public systems that invest in two. But public systems have their own weaknesses. In the countries where they have a strong private sector, private sector puts in their own money because you know you are working on a technology that has a market. So if I was to answer you very briefly, it is two ways. A farmer can make that choice, but the choice of a farmer is based on the exposure and the knowledge they have. If you're dealing with a farmer who doesn't listen to a radio, a farmer who doesn't listen to TV, doesn't watch TV, a farmer who doesn't read the newspaper, a farmer who doesn't have access to internet, what they will demand for is what they see their neighbor doing or what tradition has been practiced by their ancestors. So that knowledge is possible from that generation to the next generation. But if you're dealing with a farmer who knows that a certain company is producing a best variety, they will demand for it. If you are dealing with a farmer who can make a demand to a researcher and say, look, I am working on my maize, but you see my production is low because I don't know what's going on. Then the researchers will tell whether the problem is addressed by working on the soils, The problem is addressed by pesticides. The problem is addressed by increasing the genetic capacity of this seed to produce more. So that is how the kind of world that we live in. If you are working with a farmer like Peaches, she can even order for seed from the United States if she does. But she can also order for seeds which are local. And the market also determines what a farmer goes for. For example, no farmer will grow something which is not demanded by the market. If they are not consuming it themselves, they know the market is going to buy. So a farmer makes a very critical judgment depending on whether they want it themselves or they want it for their market. And therefore, to answer your question, it is a way, depending on the level of exposure and opportunities that are there. Thank you.
0: Thank you for those um, introductory remarks, Klet, but uh, patience. So today is being celebrated as um, World Seed Day by the uh, seed sovereignty movement and the organic industry because then they insist that there is a certain corporate capture of the seed industry that should actually not be the case. And one of the very strong arguments that they go ahead and make in uh, pushing for seed sovereignty in Africa and elsewhere has to do with a complaint that uh, today, when you look at the kind of industries that are running the seed sector globally, four different companies are responsible for the production and sale of about 60% of all the world's seeds. So um, these huge companies, they insist, have domineered the space and the monopoly is not good, neither is it sustainable, they argue. Um, do you agree with some of those thoughts that are thrown out that then become the basis for a championing of seed sovereignty in Africa and elsewhere?
1: Um, so I'm, I'm of the view that because the world is the way it is and nobody exists in a vacuum, And there will be, of course, there will be spillover effects of conversations and um, uh, um, thoughts. However, I think that Africa is in a very um, unique and distinct um, uh, position because of the fact that we also have had a lot of um, public bread varieties. I think that majority of the seed that we grow in Africa are public-bred varieties. And so um, the um, so-called four largest companies, so to speak, some of them have donated um, uh, royalty-free germplasm that has been used to develop seeds and varieties for African and smallholder farmers and African farmers in general. Um, So I think that Um, A lot of the time, a lot of um, things are said just for conversation's sake and just to push a a point um, a bit too far. Because I think that in in many sectors, um, whether in agriculture or other sectors as well, there will always be the biggest players, right? And there will always be small players. Now, um, in order to say that someone has um, an undue, um, I think it's important to understand how agriculture works for farmers right now, right? So a company produces seed, farmers go to companies to purchase seed. So in Nigeria, the four largest companies are not the biggest players in Nigeria. We have many local seed companies that are producing seed, and farmers are buying year in, year out, who are not those uh, uh, major world players. Now, if, if the farmers don't get good quality seed, they cannot produce. Um, a, a good quality crop. They cannot have a good harvest. They cannot have the bumper harvest that we're talking about. So I think when we fall behind in terms of um, where the world is with food security and feeding the world, I think that our focus really should shift from some of these, what I would call unproductive conversations, where we are talking about things that are not so essential. Now, if we save farmers' access to very good quality seeds subsidized. We're looking for ways to say, okay, if X person makes the billion dollar investment that is needed to bring science to bear, to say they produce certain seeds so that the farmers all over the world can have access to those seeds, I think that uh, we can't now say, okay, that we would say that we need to have a movement that says um, uh, seeds need to be done a particular way because that's also still infringing on people's right to do business. So I think that what the focus is should be, how do we get farmers all over the world to have access to the same kind of quality seeds that enabled farmers in certain countries to produce 14 tons of corn per hectare, while other countries are still grappling with one ton per hectare. I think that the types of seeds that is available to farmers, those are the questions that I think for me are are, um, pertinent in helping us to fight, this, this, um, uh, to fight hunger and be able to say that we will make some progress. We find that a lot of conversations are going on now with the World Food Summit coming up and also trying to find a way to change the way that we have done things in the past where we have even failed. Because we can see that if based on the Sophie report that we are losing the war, war against hunger, there are more hungry people. It's important for us to now re strategize and refocus the conversations to, to be able to get meaningful results.
0: So, um, Leonida, who would be joining us in a while, who actually works with um, one of the activist organizations in um, Kenya, the Haki Nawira Africa organization, actually makes a very interesting case for how come that they think a lot more caution has to be applied in terms of the dominance of the space uh, by various improved seeds. And uh, goes on to make the point that, you know, um, locally developed seed varieties, as in what they call the farmer-managed seeds, um, are often deemed as backward, but then goes on to make the point that These are the same seeds that have provided food that feeds the bulk of the global population and not the industrial food systems over the years. And then uh, Leonida then goes on to make the point that uh, the process of saving and exchanging indigenous seeds is sophisticated and uh, good enough. And in that very interesting article that she wrote to actually mark World Seed Day, then she goes on to then criticize the role of various industries and the big firms in the seed industry and goes on to say that um, you know, they are the reasons why there's a lot of erosion of seeds and destruction to biodiversity uh, over the years in Africa and elsewhere. Claire, you are a geneticist. These concerns that come up that the more reliance on improved seeds instead of the indigenous seeds and the land races is affecting biodiversity and probably threatening the very existence of African agriculture. What do you say to some of these arguments?
2: Uh, Thank you. I I lost my network (laughs) for some time. Uh, The whole issue is that uh, I think people have just got to get some facts first. what is biodiversity and why are we losing biodiversity? We are losing biodiversity because of uh, several other challenges. It's not about only adoption of a certain variety or some species. The first gene bank in the world was, uh, if I remember very, quite well, is in 1980 in the 1800s. That's when we had the first Guinness. Why were they established is after recognizing that we are continuing to lose some biodiversity. That time, people were not even thinking about modern varieties. In fact, it has been it is published or documented information that we are losing biodiversity at a rate of between 15 to 25 percent every year. That is using the indicator species. The indicator species are the common species that you see in a given ecosystem. If you have a certain type of fish in a lake or a water body, you can use that as an indicator of the abundance of fish in that. So you select and measure it at a given time. In a forested area, there are indicator species in that forest. When they disappear, it sends a signal that something is going on which is not correct. And there are also some species that you see which when you see them emerge like invasive species, then you know there is a danger because as they come in they are displacing some of the biodiversity that does exist there. And we are seeing this in every given ecosystem. We have the farming systems, which people are talking about, but we have the natural systems like the Savannah grasslands. We have rapid fires that keep setting on. Some of them are man-made, some of them not. Those of you who are in the United States, you know the fires that every year are causing havoc in some parts of California. Greece, every year we hear of fires. Now, supposing those fires are coming at a time when the seed, or the plants have not seeded. It means that the fires are destroying the mother plant. And if by any chance there is no seed, then the fires are reducing the seeds that are naturally available in that ecosystem. Now some of these fires we take are managing; others are not. So the solutions to conserve or address some of these problems started long ago, like jinibars. Now there are some plants that can comfortably be stored in a gene box. And there are those that can only be conserved in a live gene bag, like those that do not have the seeds. You talk of things like bananas, for example. You talk of some plants, some trees, because sometimes in our systems, you are unable or we are unable to actually keep the seed in a very stable, cold environment that reduces the uh, the functioning of that seed so that that seed can stay for a very long time. And we are talking of very old gene banks that started like the one of the uh, (coughs) kiwi botanical gardens. Now, the reason they were established is after realization that naturally we are using some biodiversity, but also as human population grows, you cannot continue to use the seed that was available in the wild. For example, if you have the wild maize, the wild wild maize had like three, five seeds in the whole cob. Now, as humans population expanded, you begin to realize that how are we going to sustain life using what was given in nature? Mm. That said, we also have crops that are still performed very well from the wild, like the African yams. Okay. Some species of the African rice, some species of coffee, that originated in the African continent. There. But there are situations where the productivity is so low that the only thing that can address that is through improving that seed. So improving the seed is not in any way Reducing the biodiversity. Because, also, what, what is going on by having improved seed, it means this farmer can produce so much mm-hmm. on a very small acre. Mm-hmm. In, but this same farmer can produce the same quantity using an expansive part of land. So, it means the farmer must go to the forest, destroy more forest to get what they could have gotten from one acre, instead, they go and destroy 50 acres. Very well. Now, scientists globally have learned to solve human problems by looking at some of these challenges. Is there a way I can produce 10,000 tons of maize from one hectare rather than growing? Because in Uganda, for example, the average farm produces 1,000 kilograms of maize from one acre. With improved seed, you can go to 4,000 kilograms from one acre of maize. Okay. So the other farmer will have to clear or use 10 acres of land using what they call now a local variety. And the other farmer goes and produces the same on one acre of land. By the way, for your information, what farmers in Uganda call local varieties of maize is not local. For example, there's a variety of maize that is called the Nalong. Nalong is a mother of twins. This variety was originally bred in Mexico, then introduced to Africa first in Ghana. Perhaps you know they call it the protein maize. And it was bred by a cement scientist from India. Then moved to Africa, first entered Africa through Ghana, and the second place that entered was Uganda. Then it spread to several other African countries. Mm-hmm. Now farmers called that one local maize variety. And I asked them, what loco? <laughs> first of all, when the maize itself was not indigenous to Africa. Mm-hmm. It was indigenous to Mexico. Okay. It was just uh-huh. moved by explorers. Yeah. But you see, every generation that comes and finds there something, they start to think this is what we found there. No, pins, for example, pins were never indigenous yeah. to Africa. Sure. Klet, let me, let me, let,
0: let me bring um, Leonida into the conversation. Uh, thanks very much for um, joining us. Uh, we, we've gotten the conversation underway already. Um, I'll go ahead and take your own initial thoughts. Uh, you're you part of the team that's celebrating today as International Seed Day, as a day to push for seed sovereignty and uh, encourage, uh, for that matter, uh, discourage uh, you know, industrial seeds and the use of very improved varieties and all. Why do you th- think that argument has become necessary and you demanding a return to seed sovereignty with, how we do production generally in Africa. Leonida.
3: Uh, thank you so much, uh, Joseph, for this opportunity and uh, for giving me this platform. Uh, one, I'd like to say that uh, when you look at indigenous seeds in the African continent, one, uh, these seeds are not just, these seeds have meaning. You know, in, Af- in the African context, seed is cultural. Seed is looked as, as uh, the future. Seed is equated to life. Even, even for example, the, the planting process, it's cultural. When you go to, uh, during planting season, it's not everybody that goes to plant the seeds. Sometimes you find that the first seed must be planted, let's say by an elderly person to symbolize a continuity of life. So when we talk about uh, seeds in Africa, we are talking about very, a very important component. Uh, one thing I want to say is that uh, if you ask, let's say, for example, an 80-year-old African grandmother or grandfather, and you ask them about farming systems in the past, they'll tell you that we never used to spray our, our, our farm produce. We never used to use any chemicals, and we were using seeds that we had inherited from, from our uh, you know, uh, grandmothers and grandfathers. And the granaries existed as places for keeping seeds. But what is now happening with the industrial uh, food production system is that, one, they're demonizing the indigenous seeds, calling them backward, calling them non-productive. But you need to know that uh, research has shown that 70 to 80% of the food that is consumed in the African continent comes from the indigenous varieties of, of food. What is happening? The problem comes in, and this is what is bringing in the food insecurity aspect is that there are very many losses you know, uh, at uh, harvest time. Post-harvest losses are very many. And what, what, what scientists ought to do instead of concentrating, for instance, on, on seeds, they should actually be providing farmers with alternatives on how to preserve their crops. Another thing I want to point out is that if you look at food production right now, you find that at every level, the farmer must use some element of chemicals. At planting time, there are very many GM trials taking place, even in my country, Kenya. Like now, a, there are trials for uh, cassava. There are trials for cotton. And we have been told that the aim of using GM is to yeah. revive the yeah. industry. While, while in the the reason why we're having problems in the cotton industry is that opening up of markets and, um, you know, dumping of finished clothes. In Kenya, we call them mitumba. And where do these finished secondhand clothes come from? They are dumped into Africa from Europe. So when we talk about seeds, and uh, industrial uh, seeds that are produced uh, in an industrial way, what happens is that they chain farmers to the agrovet at, at every even, level. When you are planting, when you are when you are when the seeds are growing, you know, weeding point, you have to use chemicals. At storage time, you have to use chemicals. The question is, how much how much money do farmers have that they'll be using chemicals at every level? It's expensive for them. But another then, thing is. Mm.
0: But Leonida, for example, with the GM seeds, as you speak of in Kenya, with the, uh, the, the BT cotton, and the concerns you are drawing attention with the continuous spraying of pesticides and all, isn't that why the improved seeds are necessary? Because then we understand that from trials, the BT uh, variety actually use far less pesticides than the land races that have been used all these years. Farmers have to spray their cotton fields about eight to 12 times every year. But with these improved GM varieties, then they are spraying just about three times. Isn't that reason enough to rather want to adopt these GM varieties than to rely on the land races? What I can say is that
3: indigenous I'll always uh, be in support of indigenous varieties. One, you look at the cost aspect. When the farmer uses the indigenous varieties, they don't have to buy any seeds. They already have the seed banks within their localities. And another thing that is uh, dangerous when you talk about the, the industrial seed system is that they are even influencing legislations, for instance. Like right now, there is... Uh, the push for harmonization of legislations relating to seeds. And what this is going to do to uh, smallholder farmers is that they are going to criminalize the uh, age-old traditions of exchanging seeds. And if you look at, for example, various legislations, you'll find that there are punitive clauses in these legislations that criminalize what farmers are doing. So what I can say is that farmers should be allowed to produce their own Seeds because, in actual sense, they are one they are the ones the smallholder farmers are the ones who are feeding the not only Africa but the ones who are feeding the world. And if you use if if you plant indigenous varieties, because,
0: Claire, that's Claire, not can, you, Claire, can you mute for us? You need a roundup for me. Um, Claire, can you mute so we can yell on either more clearly? Yes, need a roundup for me and move on to patients
1: working.
0: working. So can I proceed? Um, yes. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead and round up quickly for millionida.
3: Okay. What I was saying is that with indigenous seeds, if you look at uh, the industrial seed systems, what happens is that at every level, the farmer must use chemicals. That is one thing. Number two, when you look at planting, when your, he- your soil is healthy, it means your food is also going to be healthy. What the industrial seed system is doing to, us, uh, to the soil it mean, is that farmers are being forced to use chemicals, and this is making them lose uh, nutrients in yeah. the soil. So it means that when they grow food, the food is not going to do well. And that is what happened. That is part of the that is part of the reason why we have problems with food production. Why? Because the soil has become denatured because of overuse of chemicals.
0: Very well, Lenita, Thanks very much for those perspectives. Um, so, Patience, you you are a farmer yourself. Um, this argument that you are better off using indigenous seeds because the improved ones are more expensive to want to invest in. Um, Is that the situation you face in your job as a farmer?
1: Okay, so um, I want to first uh, refer to something that Klet said, and then come back to answer the question. So he said something very important. What are indigenous seeds, really? Because corn is a staple in Nigeria, South Africa, many parts of Africa. It's something that we eat every day, and it, it came from Mexico. Rice is not from here. So when we talk about indigenous seeds, I'm really just, you know, kind of scratching my head to say, okay, uh, what, which indigenous staple is, is, is what is feeding our people bottom line? Um, then I, I would like to say that, you know, truly, I, I pray for an Africa where uh, we can research and understand our situation before we, 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 we buy into a, um, an argument that has absolutely no reality with us here and we begin to push it. Now, um, uh, we are talking about industrial seeds and indigenous seeds. I mean, I'm even like, I'm, I'm at a loss because I'm wondering industrial seed, industrial seeds, I mean, what, what, is, what is that really? Because if we are even talking about, um, Leonidas spoke about um, Uh, 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 I recently grew the GM cotton that was released in Nigeria on my farm and Nigeria has over 200 million people. We wear everything and we are one of the most fashionable people in the world. I'm sure you will agree, Joseph, that you see our bright colors in what we wear and in the prints. All of it is on cotton that is imported into Nigeria. Now, we buy a base cotton and we do a tie-dye on it, localized in quote. Now, what is the reason for this? There is a ball that has destroyed our entire cotton production in the past, and most of the traditional cotton growers who have done it for decades, if there was such a thing as saving seeds, I am sure they would have saved those seeds and continued But their farms and their seeds were overrun by a bollworm that they could not sustain the farming any longer. And they all, mostly, it fizzled out and people were no longer growing cotton because it wasn't profitable. Now, as a result of that, I mean, if a farmer is spraying a farm 10, 15, even 20 times in a year, how much money is that and how much degradation is that of a so-called indigenous cotton crop? as opposed to now this BT cotton that I grew on my farm and we sprayed probably about twice and it it, it yielded, it had multiple balls. So we are even excited about a possible cotton revolution where our industries that provided jobs to thousands of of people can be revamped. So we are now looking at situations where we can begin to look at complete turnarounds of not only industry, but also our own existing food systems, food systems. In Nigeria, I don't know about other countries, we import corn from South America, from the US. We import cotton, I mean, soya beans, soya bean meal, which we use to either um, produce oil or we use for our chicken feeds and so on. We are importing GM crop. We are not growing cut soya beans that can provide more, produce more than one ton per hectare. Because the soya bean seeds have, of course, the different constraints that we have. The weeds that we have, pests, we have all sorts of things. And we are not able to feed ourselves. I think that in order for us to seriously look at our problem, because Europe and South America and the US, they have food surpluses. We are buying their surplus. If we continue to have these conversations where we are talking about biodiversity, Clare was very clear to us to say there are many, many things that are wrong with our environment as it is. Global warming, there's so much that's going on that's causing degradation. And we are focusing on saying that seeds are a problem or that farmers are doing something that is eroding the the, the environment. What we're saying is that if there are certain scientific um, solutions to problems, science quickly brought us COVID vaccines. We have all gone and taken our shots and we are moving on from it and getting better why are we not opening our hearts to say look what is available when we demonize and when somebody says that they are demonizing indigenous seeds i have never heard any advert or any conversation by any seed company that says don't buy indigenous seeds i strongly believe that there are some people sitting somewhere who manufacture these these conversations for their own personal good and they put it out there in the public space and these conversations begin to hold for their own personal interest. If you have an interest for Africa where people are dying of hunger every day, you will be looking for what is the best solution. You will be looking for what is healthy, what is is right. I have gone and done all kinds of research on GM. Bring me the scientific evidence that says GM crop is hazardous, is not safe. There is absolutely none. We are buying a, 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 a narrative that somebody for their own personal gain is putting out there. And, and, and I'm shocked that Africa will be bringing a, 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 such a resistance to so much help because people are saying, look, take, let us take germplasm that has been productive. Africa cannot afford, um, a lot of African farmers cannot afford to buy GM seed at the prices that they are sold to farmers in the US and, and other places. And they say, look, give it to African scientists, let them work on it, and let those uh, uh, improved varieties of seeds be available to farmers. And mm-hmm. that's what has happened. Nigerian scientists have worked on, on a lot of these varieties that we are now putting in the market. So who is the in quote demonizer? Is it the Nigerian scientists or in, 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 the, in, the, in the research institutions, who, who is the person? Or is it the person who gave you royalty-free germplasm that you should pay millions of dollars for? Mm-hmm. I think that it's time for us to wake up from our slumber. We yeah. have a problem. Africa has fallen behind. The world has left us behind. Hunger is brazenly facing us because people are hungry, they are radicalized very easily. We have problems with security all over the place. We cannot go to the farms. We have to face the problems that we have so that we can come up with the right solution.
0: Many thanks for um, those uh, interesting perspectives. Claire. I'll I'll come to you in a jiffy, but just to bounce this off Leonida as well. So um, patients make the point that she is convinced that improved seeds will make huge difference in the lives of herself and other farmers. She points to how she's reduced the use of chemicals on her fields as a result of planting uh, improved seeds and specifically uh, GM seeds in Nigeria. Um, there is vast evidence that's living away from GM seeds when it comes to uh, improved seeds generally. What has been described as the Green Revolution. Created a situation where various nations like Mexico, India, Pakistan, according to data from the FAO, kind of doubled their yield between the 1960s and the 1970s, mainly as a result of the use of improved seeds. Um, you know, and 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 they are huge successes to point to how some of these improved varieties are helping deal with issues of food food insecurity, and um, there, there is data that more than Uh, 18 billion dollars was the amount that farmers who grew GM crops and extra across both the developing and the developing world over the last uh, year, uh, that just ended. Um, If the commitment is to improving the lot of farmers and helping them deal with issues of food insecurity and helping them earn more from their fields and deal with poverty shouldn't that rather be where the focus should be rather than an idea that says, um, seeds are about cultural initiatives. And so then uh, locally produced non-improved seed should rather be the focus, Leonida. Uh,
3: thank you for, uh, for what you've said. Uh, I'll be responding to some of the issues you've raised. Uh, you spoke about uh, the 1970s and 1990s 60s and 70s having a, a thriving food systems and a lot of uh, food produced uh, thanks to the uh, green revolution. But uh, how comes that you've not been able to point out the suicides that were happening in India where farmers were you know with green revolution it was intensified uh, use of chemicals uh, uh, using improved seeds the, the, and farmers had to add to you know, these were being given to them in, form, in forms of uh, sort of loans, not grants. There are cases of suicides. And it's just that after some time, when farmers use uh, the, during the Green Revolution period, the yields grew, but for just a period, yes? Because if, if these seeds actually work, why do we continue to have global hunger, yes? What is happening is that with uh, this industrially produced seeds, what what happens is that they thrive on monoculture system of food production. And with a monoculture system of production, what happens is that nutrients continue to get lost. And with the loss of nutrients, as I said before, the most important, the, the, the first element when you're producing food is the soil. If your soil is sick, it means that even the food is not going to be healthy. So this is why we are pushing for the farmers to use systems, agroecology being one of them, regenerative agriculture being uh, the next one, that actually helps to heal the soil and helps to bring back biodiversity. There are places, for instance, because of toxicity, bees are dying, butterflies are dying because of, Chemicals, and and when bees and butterflies die, who's going to do pollination for us? And we can't pollinate using our hands. So when you are talking about industrial food systems, what I can say is that we need to look at for how long will for how long will we have these yields? Are we having it just for a short time, mm. and then our soil continues to get uh, denatured? Thank mm. you.
0: Thank you Leonida, is that actually uh, the case that these improved varieties end up harming the environment for the worse and result in what um, farmers then committing suicide and new trends in the varieties that get produced eventually being lost?
2: Thank you Joseph and my friend Leonida. Um, I have a very interesting background. You see, when I studied conservation biology, <clears throat> uh, it exposed me to realities on biodiversity loss. It did expose me to realities of biodiversity loss. Interestingly, in Uganda, here, I'm leading a uh, Series of projects. One of them is B. So we are piloting a number of innovations in BTP. So we go to the wild and we also do it on farms and uh, we are evaluating different production systems, wild trees, what's happening in the caves and other things. Now,
0: Clet's connection just um, froze there. Um, hopefully, it will get better so that then he goes ahead to um, make his points uh, for us to really round up on the conversation. Clet, can you hear me? Okay. Clet's um, connection just um, froze there. He will join us back and then. Okay, Claire's um, connection just um, froze there. He'll join yeah. us back in a while. Uh, Klet, we can hear you now. I
2: seem to be back. Yeah. Yeah. So we have uh, savanna ecosystems, which is natural. Even in deserts, there are spots where you find some wild foods there. Mm-hmm. In uh, a tropical rainforest, there are some foods there. Fruits, for example, I was uh, showing this book, edible wild plants. Nearly every country has documented sites, including Uganda. So if you are talking of uh, going to the wild and collect some fruits and eat, yes, they are there. But studies have shown that if we left improved the safe and we go to organic world, or rely on the wild crops. We will have to make a decision to kill 4 billion people of the world, such that the remaining 3 billion mm-hmm. can be sustained on the wild environment or traditional foods because they are there. But at the same time, people are wondering, including the medicines, because there are some medicines traditionally that are harvested where you cut the tree back. Now, when you remove the tree back, the tree is unable to take the nutrients from the roots. So it dies. And therefore we miss that tree which was providing us with medicine. Now, what we are doing in the modern world is how can we emulate what is in the wild to be able to improve that, such that it's produced on a sustainable scale. Now, when we say that soils, there is how much the soils can contribute. The soils will not give you more yield than the genetic capacity, maximum production potential of a given variety. They are simply helping a farmer, to get the best out of that given variety. So if this particular crop, is maximum production is 10 tons after its maximum production is one ton per acre. No, Nicole, like, no, However much no, you no, feed no, the soil, soil you still get what? One ton. But if you improve it, Yeah. That production or genetic capacity will go high. I have heard that Indian farmers committed suicide. Indian farmers committed suicide because they were taking loans and they were unable to pay the loans because of other factors. There's no way it is documented that the farmers were not able to get the yields that they required. We are talking of patents. I'm here using a computer. Is there anyone who has failed to use a computer because it is actually a product of patents? Patents does not affect someone who does who choose not to use it. I'm paying data to use this computer because I know the benefits of using that. Otherwise, I could have from the USA. What is the cost compared to the cost of using the data? Here, I'm spending less than one dollar to buy the data to be online and communicate with you. But look at the traditional system where I had to board the plane to travel there and speak to you for one hour. We have had this thing. You know, there is agroecological investigation system where you combine both the organic system and the modern fertilizers to get the maximum product from a given situation. And we mainly talk of integrated systems because there are situations where fertilizers, for example, will not enhance the facility of the soil because, for example, they could be runoff, erosion. So even if you put there a lot of fertilizer, it will be useless. So what you work on in that case, you first work on the soil structure. And then you put the other nutrients that may not be there. Africa, for example, talks of the largest samples of phosphate, fertilizers. They're in the wild. But we need to extract them from where they are using science to be able to make it available to the farmers. We are talking of that demonizing the local seeds. Nobody, nobody. Has come up anywhere in the world to say traditional indigenous seeds are bad, but those seeds are addressing a specific need. We have a variety of uh, bananas in Uganda which is eaten as a dessert. On a banana, it puts on very small clusters, but it's quite sweet. So even if you pump that soil with lots of nutrients, you will still not get more than five kilograms from that batch. Mm. And it can be eaten by clay alone and efficient. But because of demand to supply and feed more people, you go for improved varieties. Interestingly, bananas which we call as local foods or local plants in Uganda are not local. It came from Honduras. Now what people are saying is local is not local. It is simpler due to lack of information. Chemicals. There is hardly anything that you can produce in an agriculture system that we live in currently, especially in Africa, without using a lot of pesticides. The pests now, actually, the leading causes of problems that we are consuming now is because of people rejecting modern technologies to produce pest free or crops that are inherently are resistant to pests. Now, people must put a lot of chemicals yeah, yeah. in the food stores to be able to preserve that food to be eaten for a longer time. Uganda recently had a ban on exporting coffee to Kenya because of afrotoxins, but Bt maize are not affected by afrotoxins. <laughs> So we deserve a lot, both to a farmer and to, and then we're talking of, you know, that the small or traditional farmers are feeding the world. You are talking of 90% of the population feeding 2%. What economic sense does that
0: mean? No.
2: <laughs> you are essentially locking 90% of the people in poverty because they must produce to feed the 10%. But if we reduce the population of farmers in farming, that will not be the case. And that's what is happening in most of the countries that have transformed. America, how many farmers are in farming? Or how many the population of people in farming? Less than 10, 6%, I think. Europeans, on average, less than 30% in farming. Africa, more than 90%. Does, is it, does it sound? Anything unusual to now hear that most Africans are poor? Very well. In India, I visited some populations where every year they must get donations of food twice or in two seasons because what they produce is not enough to even feed themselves. Very well. And then our friends, their own leaders, who are actually earning a livelihood outside the farming, want to confuse farmers to stay in poverty and they can't even afford to feed themselves. They can't sell any excess to take their children to school. So people are locked up in poverty in the name of preserving traditional food. All of us would go for traditional food if it is there. That's not there. And if you go where they are, it's extremely expensive. I lived in Europe. I would go for chicken, which is not organic because I could afford that and I ate and I looked good. But there are those who say, okay, I'm looking for these specific ones. So we should be talking in terms of our food habit. If you go to a restaurant and eat a full chicken, three kilograms of chicken, is the problem chicken or the problem is your appetite? You have too much appetite, eating one kilogram, I mean eating three kilograms of chicken, then the next day you say the chicken is bad. Why can't you just eat a few grams of that chicken and you're okay? So the point we are making is that we are mixing up things. Those of us who promote science are not necessarily against traditional systems. For example, I also do practice as a banana farmer. There are a few occasions where I will get artificial fertilizers and add in the garden. Most of the I also have cows. So I get the manure and put them. But there are situations where people can't afford the organic fertilizers. Now our friends who are against science see that some of us are not there. I don't know if you can read this. The Bayouka approach approaches sustainable soil systems. In this kind of documentations or books that we read, we are trying to enlighten ourselves and see which components can help to enhance soil fertility given special circumstances. There's no soil, for example. Our friends are trying to tell us that farming is the only business where you remove capital. And they don't put back. Which business in this world thrives on removing and they don't put back? When you have crops, you are removing the nutrients. You must put back the nutrients. You are disorganizing the soil structure. You must still, actually, the traditional farming systems are the one responsible for the disappearance of this. Because you go to the wild, the, 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 the wild where people place cows in the wild environments. What people do. During every dry season, they set fire. Those are traditions. Set fire to enhance growth of fresh, uh, fresh grass for well. cows. Now, by burning, you're actually killing every diverse biodiversity which is there, uh, well. this
0: they
2: are spraying against the uh own which hit Africa recently when you are spraying. A using non selective pesticides. Are uh, bees going to be safe? But if you had BT maize, the BT maize will resist the fall armyworm and therefore yeah. it will kill only the fall armyworm and the bees will be safe. But there a lot of misinformation goes around and says you are killing bees. How are you killing bees when you're only killing the fall armyworm and the bees are left there intact? So actually, mm-hmm. the people doing much disaster to our environment are this against science. Science has come to destroy Science comes to store, I mean, to restore and sustain livelihoods. There are documented evidence, studies which show that when people were poor, they actually lived at an average lifespan of 30 years. But now people are living longer. Go to Japan, 80 years, US, I think 70 something years. Africa, where we are practicing traditional farming and people don't have money, they don't have food, they don't have enough of anything. The average life fund is less than 50 years. Is it by coincidence? Mm. People have just got to get right to information. No one goes to school to destroy. We go to school or private investors invest in areas where they know there's returns, but they're also providing a service. We have priests, pastors, you go to church, you don't just go, you go with an offer because these guys are offered to teach you spiritually, to know that there's God. And because you're getting this knowledge from this person as a return, you give something because this person's livelihood relies on preaching printing and delivering this right information for you. The role of a scientist or a soil scientist is to work on elements that improve the soils, to sustain labor. Now you cannot convert a soil scientist to a genetics. The role of a geneticist is to understand genes, how they're interacting, and something else. So you cannot convert a genetics to start working on soil. That's where they go wrong. Mm. Different people, different professions offer different things. You cannot no. get a person working at a bioscience or a geneticist to start producing pesticides or handle food harvest losses. That's a job of a food scientist whose business is to ensure that they protect or process what is available. Now, some people are again saying processed foods are bad. But science keeps advancing. From one step, you go to another. So if processing is removing something, the next level of processing is to conserve what is being removed.
0: Very well, very well um uh, that's a lot you've given us to chew on i'll 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 take those as your um final words we've gone past the mark already um i'll go ahead and take final words from leonida as well um and then i'll move on to patience even as we bring the conversation to a close um even as we mark today as world intellectual property day and equally mark it as world seed day um leonida uh, final thoughts Okay, looks like um, uh, we don't have Leonida right there. The connection is um, a little unstable there. Um, Is there? Um, Leonida, can you hear me? Yes, I can.
3: Yes, I can hear
0: you. Final words, then I'll move on to patience as we round up on the conversation.
3: What I want to say is that um, we are not, when we promote indigenous seeds, and uh, smallholder farmers, we're not against science, but we are for a system that works for farmers, not a system that um, continues to deprive farmers, for example, of their indigenous seeds. Because, like, for example, when when new when scientists are coming up with new seeds, what happens is sometimes they get the materials, the genetic material from what the indigenous uh, from the indigenous sources, and issues, for example, things. Things that are done, for example, uh, gene editing, those are some of the things that we have that are problematic for instance. What I want to say is that um, when we look at food, the best food is natural food. We have to be concerned about not only our current generation but also the future. And with systems, for example, agroecology, we retain biodiversity. If uh, if you look at uh, FAO, if you look at FAO, we see that biodiversity is disappearing. Even if you look at seed species, they are disappearing, and part of the disappearance is because of monoculture system Thank you.
0: Thank you, Leonida. Uh, patience, I'll give you the final word.
3: Um. Yes. Thank you, Joseph. Okay.
1: So, um, I think that, um, as a final word, I would like to say that, um, we in Africa, I think we are at a point where we need to work together. And so what I would say to um, Leonida and a lot of groups that come up with with information that basically um, hasn't been thought out or hasn't been researched, I would say let us, as much as we all want to have our personal uh, uh, whatever's addressed, I would say that let us look at the big picture because if we continue to have these conversations and push these agendas. I'm happy that it's intellectual property day because if Africa begins to honor intellectual property agreements, we will be able to access more science. Nobody will go and invest in something and just throw it to like on the floor for someone to pick up. We have a lot of seeds that we cannot bring in that, that companies cannot bring into say Nigeria because we haven't signed some UPOP agreements and so on. I think that we should focus on really things that will move us forward as a, as, as a continent. As we go into dialogues that are being had before the World Food System Summit, where we are hoping that we can actually get some really game changing solutions that will work for Africa to bridge the gap. Africa is left behind. We are far behind. We are struggling. And, and the truth is that if we are not able to look at the big picture, if we continue to look at Uh, uh, like what we sometimes say in Nigeria, stomach infrastructure, where someone is looking at their own personal interest as against the interest of the entire continent, we will never move forward. We have scientists, we have conservation scientists. Claire has said so much that makes so much sense when you talk about biodiversity and what the problems are and so on. We are talking about promoting zero tillage. Africans have done no till, for centuries, many places in Africa, they just strike the ground and plant and it grows. But we have not been able to develop these, these technologies that will help us to improve our farming systems. She's talking about the soil. We, if we do not till our soil, if we don't use multi, I mean, equipments and so on, we build the soil strata. We're, there are so many things we can do to improve our soil. We are talking about technology that will help us to spray less. Farmers' health is is a huge issue. We don't test farmers in Africa to see who has lung disease based on how much exposure he has had to spraying all sorts of things, because he has to do it so many times. Science can help us reduce that. So I think that we should now come together as a continent and say, where is the farmer's voice? Where is the scientist's voice? And where is even the civil society voice that is educated and that is knowledgeable? We need at this point to bring knowledge to bear. We are very intelligent people here in Africa. We can research, we can go and look at what is science doing? What are the scientists doing? Understand it, and then we don't come and propose something that someone gives us in a pamphlet and says, look, this is what we're pushing. And then they put us in Africa in front to further enslave ourselves. Neocolonialism is where someone wants me to stay down and buy a surplus from an excess that is produced from someone else when I can also have that surplus. Fair trade is where Africa comes to a place where we will sell, we will buy, but we would have a good balance. We will not be always left behind. So please, as Africa, feeding ourselves is so pertinent. There is every tool in the box is important and we must, must, must embrace what is available to us as science, the way we took our COVID shots that is the way we should look to say what has science got on the table for farmers, and how can we use it to improve our food system.
0: Many thanks, patience, Koku There, uh, you couldn't have rounded it all up on such a high note, making the point that there is probably a middle ground somewhere beyond, uh, you know, the extreme positioning that says uh, indigenous crops, or for that matter. Uh, land races or improved seats or even biotech seats and all, there's probably that middle ground. And that the focus should be on which will work best within specific contexts. and, you know, um, Africa probably picking the lessons from elsewhere but then modifying it to meet our taste and our own prospects and our own expectations on the continent. So um, we'll bring the conversation to a close. I've had a very interesting panel Uh, discussing who should decide what farmers grow. We veered a bit into the conversation around uh, whether the focus should be on improved seeds or indigenous seeds. And we've had uh, people like Claire Masiga making the argument that there is probably nothing like indigenous seed on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, because even the corn that we consume is something that originated originally from uh, the Mexican area. But many thanks for joining us. Uh, Claire Masiga is uh, in Uganda. He's actually a conservation biologist. He's also a geneticist. Um, he's the director of the Bioscience Engineering and Farm Innovations uh, Division of the Tropical Institute of Development Innovations. Many thanks for joining us. Uh, also, uh, Leonida Odongo, who is an activist from Kenya, who works with the Haki Nawari Africa organization, joined us with, this, uh, with her own perspective on this very interesting conversation. And also, we have Patience Koku, who is a farmer in Nigeria, who is also the CEO of the Replenish Farms, also joining us for this conversation. Uh, it's been a conversation on World Intellectual Property Day, also marking what uh, World Seed Day as is celebrated by a number of the groups. Many thanks for joining us. The conversation will be archived on our Facebook page at Science Ally. You can also find us on YouTube at Science Ally. Uh, all the details of that will be present there. On Twitter, we are on uh, the page Science Ally. And also on Instagram, you can find us at Science Ally. My name is Joseph Opukugapo. Many thanks for joining
2: us. Have a blessed day. Bye.